The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And it is my prayer right now that as we jump in to the book of Exodus, we would see the King of glory for all that he is worth. He is amazing. Oh God, let us see you in this book. As we've been going through week after week with the goal of growing strong together, we have come now to the book of Leviticus. I'm not going to talk about Leviticus this week, but my purpose right now is just to encourage you as you read your Bible day after day and you're in the book of Leviticus. It can be tough. It can be challenging. It can be boring. And you think, why in the world am I reading this? But I just want to exhort you. I want to encourage you to keep on going and to keep on pressing in to God in his word, even in the middle of the book of Leviticus. It's one of the reasons I love the one-year Bible is we're not just in Leviticus. We're in the book of Matthew. We're in the book of Psalms. We're in the Proverbs. And we are going to see week after week how even Leviticus ties into the plan of God and into his kingdom. But today we are going to be going back to the book that we just finished uh, about a week ago. And we are going to highlight some fundamental truths from the book of Exodus, because this book, and I've seen it more this year than any other, as I've been pouring and pouring over this book in the last weeks, I've seen more than ever how huge this book is and how fundamental this book is to our understanding of our God and the eternal plan that he has the book of Exodus is huge. God has a plan and he is taking us right through the middle of his plan. And he is going to come and reveal himself in the book of Exodus in ways like never before that have touched human history, the history of mankind in ways that is still trickling down even to this day. So we've been looking at this book, we've been going through, we've been, we, we, we tackled the book of Genesis. We looked at characters in the book of Genesis. But one of the main things 
that I want to point out as we go through this week after week is that I want to look at the scripture. I want to look at the plan of God through the lens of his kingdom. And I pray that as you read this book cover to cover, year after year, you would see it's everywhere. The kingdom of God is what this book is all about. It's what God is doing from the book of Genesis to Revelation. He is establishing his kingdom. We talked about this a number of times, and I guarantee you I'm going to bring it up week after week because it's so foundational to our understanding of what is going on as we read this book. And it's in Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So here we are, the end of time. And it says before that, that the king is sitting on his glorious throne. After all of human history is said and done, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, will sit on his glorious throne and say to the people on his right, inherit the kingdom. Because this is what I have been preparing for you from the foundation of the world. I love that it says that he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. This makes me laugh now just because of, of where I am in my life. And it's kind of a family joke here on the property because um, for those of you who don't know me personally, I'm actually a shepherd. I am a shepherd. I have, let's see, six female sheep, six ewes and two rams. And we are actually in lambing season. Any day now, we are due to expect another 8 to 12 little lambs. They are so fun. They are so adorable. But God is so right in, I just think of his imagination when he was creating the animals because he, he speaks so often in pictures. And here at the end of time, Jesus on his glorious throne is going to be separating the sheep from the goats. My sheep, when I walk in, they run to me. They want to follow me. They know me as their shepherd when they hear my voice, as opposed to everyone else on the property. When they hear my voice, they begin to call for me. They look for me and they trust me. You know, a sheep trusts you completely. See, they're prey animals. So they're very leery of new people, but you know as a shepherd that your sheep trust you when you can walk into their presence and they stay laying down because they completely trust their shepherd. Now, before we got sheep, we got goats. We had this brilliant idea of getting some goats because we had all of this vegetation that needed is basically, we could call it vegetation, it's basically in Southern California, weeds. And we wanted a goat to come and eat down all the weeds. So we thought, how fun, we'll get some goats. I'm going to tell you that goats are the most obstinate, honorary creatures that God ever created. But see, he's creating a picture. He's creating a picture. 
Sheep trust their shepherd. They run to their shepherd. They are most secure when their shepherd is in control and they are living in the care and protection of their shepherd. Goats, they just want to run their shepherd over. They just want to bull their way right over them. You have some food? Well, I'm just going to run you over and take it right out of your hand. They are honorary and they are obstinate. And it's a picture because at the end of time, Jesus Christ is going to sit on his glorious throne. And there's going to be two kinds of people. There's going to be sheep who have kneeled before him, who have surrendered to him and have followed him in that intimate relationship. And he's going to say, inherit the kingdom that I have prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. The goats will inherit the hell of fire that was not prepared for them. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But if you are not a part of the kingdom you will be cast into that utter, horrible darkness. So be warned. Be warned and don't be like those goats that are honorary and that are obstinate and that will not follow their shepherd. Because the life of the sheep who follow their good shepherd come and make it into a kingdom. And as we've talked about week after week, a kingdom, and we're going to see this in the book of Exodus, a kingdom is not about a place. See, oftentimes we talk about heaven. Heaven is a place. Jesus says heaven is the throne of God all the time in the Psalms. Heaven is the throne of God. Heaven is the place where the throne of God rules. That's not what we're inheriting. We are inheriting a kingdom. And we are going to see as we walk through the book of Exodus more and more that the kingdom of God is about a people. I pray that as we get to the end of this podcast, or maybe even the next couple of podcasts, you will understand why we have defined the kingdom as a people who are willingly surrendered to the reign of God and who will actively participate in an intimate partnership with him. That is what the kingdom will be. Heaven is a place But those people on the right, those sheep, they are going to inherit the kingdom that has been prepared from the foundation of the the world. And I want to remind you, I talked about this before, but it is just so beautiful that I want to remind you of what this preparation of the kingdom is. I'm going to read it from my notes. It says, the preparation, this word preparation in Matthew 25, 34, it's a word that means to make something ready, but it's a figurative expression that was drawn from the oriental custom of sending on before kings. As kings would go on their journey, people would be sent before their king to make the roads ready 
so that as the, as the king is going on these ancient roads, they're passable. There's level ground. So as we look in at this preparation of the kingdom, God is doing something and he's leveling out and preparing the road for his king. It also said, when I was looking further into it this week, it says that this preparation was about preparing the minds of men to give their Messiah a fit reception. That is what the Old Testament is all about. It's the preparation. It's making those level roads for this king that is coming. And we are going to see that more and more as we go through the book of Exodus. As we walk through the last couple of weeks, as we walk through the book of Genesis together, we really saw that the Genesis was a book of beginnings. We saw the man in the garden and that they were in the garden in that kneeled, surrendered relationship, that kneeled relationship where they are under the sovereign God. They are in that kneeled relationship, but they are walking in that intimacy and that, that that is what God created mankind to have. That's what will be in the kingdom. That's what it was in the garden. But everything was lost at the fall of mankind. When Adam and Eve willfully chose to break that blessed relationship and death entered the world. So we saw that we walked through that for several weeks in the, in the book of Genesis. We also saw there that we had the forming of nations and that as God was uh, working in the lives of these people, he was forming nations so that he was creating for himself a line of people who would one day bring in his king and his king would restore everything that was lost in the garden of Eden. We saw that through Noah and as he as he trusted God, he passed that on to Shem. And then from Shem, that line of people came to the man of faith, that man Abraham that we looked at for the last couple of weeks. And Abraham's promise from God was that through his seed, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Because at the fall of mankind, that was all lost. That was all lost. We saw in the story of Noah that every inclination of the heart of man was only evil all the time. There was no part of righteousness left in the heart of man. And that's our problem. We need to get back to that. And God has promised that through the seed of Abraham, he's going to restore that through the seed of of Abraham. He was going to restore that blessed kingdom relationship. See, this was God. This was God preparing the road, story after story, man after man, day by day. This was his preparation. All of the stories, all of the lives. He's doing something here. He's doing something here. And I am here to tell you that it was all about the preparation for his kingdom that was prepared at the foundation of the world. 
I'm going to have you turn with me as we jump into the book of Exodus. We're actually going to look back for a moment at Genesis 15, 12, because this is really where the book of Exodus begins, because this verse, the book of Exodus is the fulfillment of this verse. So look with me, Genesis 15, 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, Dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, Abraham, You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The book of Exodus, like I said, is the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. And I love this. If you've been with us on Sunday nights or if you're listening and joining in with us to the Sunday night podcasts, we've been talking about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is stunning. Here he is. Generations before Moses and the Exodus ever took place, hundreds and hundreds of years before God said exactly what was going to happen. Look with me at at Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. This is what we've been looking at on Sunday night. It says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God said to Abraham, 400 years and then I'm going to do something. And the book of Exodus is all about God fulfilling his plan. Who is the king of glory? I'm going to tell you, he is the sovereign Lord over all things. And his purpose will stand forever, no matter what. Mankind cannot stop my God. My God is sovereign over all, and he is the king of glory. I love that. That was Psalm 24, and I love that. So we come to the book of Exodus, and we see Joseph has died. There's now a new king over the land, and this king does not remember Joseph. It says The Bible says he knows nothing about Joseph. It's kind of surprising, but he doesn't. The people of Israel, the Bible says, were increasing greatly, so that the land was filled with them. And then in verse nine, it says this, 
And this new king says, this new king said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Let us make, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to inflict them with heavy burdens. But I just love that because this Pharaoh rules over all the ancient world. And yet he is an absolute pawn in the hand of my God. Because 400 years ago, he said, my people will be enslaved. My God is sovereign over all. And he does as he pleases. But there was a purpose and there was a plan. So I find it so, so interesting that here this, this king was so afraid. He was scared to death that these people, that the Israelites would somehow go to war against him and they would be defeated by his enemies. So he thought something has to be done with these people. So he made an edict that all these people were going to be, be slaved, but he did something more. And I find this incredible that he was so afraid. We talked about last week being bold as a lion. This king was the absolute opposite of this. He did not know God. He was deeply and greatly afraid of the Israelites overrunning and losing his power. So he went to two Hebrew midwives. And I, and I love it that God mentions them by name because these women, unlike the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt, these two women were bold as a lion and there was nothing, including the king of Egypt that would move them. That he came to them and said, this is what I want you to do. When the Hebrew women are giving birth, they give to give birth to a daughter you may let her live. If they give birth to a son, he must die. He put that pressure on these two women, Shafara and Pua, and he, the Bible says, they didn't do it. They didn't follow his orders. Now think about this with me for a moment. These are women, just like you and me. And the head of all the ancient world comes to them and says, this is my command. And these two women, the Bible testifies, these two women feared their God more than they feared the king. He had the power to kill them. And they did what was right anyway. They were not afraid of the king. They feared their God and God rewarded them. The Bible says he rewarded them with, their, with families of their own. And I love that. Don't you want to be like them? Don't you want to be those kind of women? The king of Egypt saw that he was getting nowhere with these um, Hebrew midwives. They were not obeying his order. God spared their lives, gave them families of their own. 
But instead, he commanded all of his people. It says he commanded all of his people that if a son was born to a Hebrew, you must take him and throw him in the Nile. Can you imagine the horror of taking a newborn baby boy and just tossing him into a river and watching him drown. I cannot imagine the horror or the wickedness of this king. But please don't miss what's happening here. The book of Acts, when it recounts these stories, it says, as it came time for God to fulfill his promise, as it as this exodus came near, as this 400 years was coming to an end. Don't you know that Satan and all his demons wanted to do whatever they could to thwart the plan of God? They saw 400 years is coming up. I don't know if they understood anything about Moses. I don't know. I just know they knew God is about to do something and they were going to stop it. And he incited the Pharaoh of Egypt to throw all of the males into the Nile River. A horrific, a horrific tragedy. But God. He is the king of glory. He is strong and mighty in battle. And he is sovereign over all. And it does not matter the plans of man, the plans of Satan. He has spoken. He will bring it to pass. He has purposed and he will do it. And enter into the scene a man and a woman, Amram and Jochebed. I wish I knew more about these two. Because like Shafara and Pua, they feared God Almighty. And they knew when they gave birth to a son, they looked at their son. I don't really understand this. Because when I look at my son, I thought he was beautiful too. Every parent will look at their son and say he's beautiful. But when Amram and Jochebed, Moses' parents, looked into the face of their child, they said something, something is different here. This is a beautiful child. And they, the book of Hebrews says, by faith, they hid that child away for three months by faith. And when they could hide him no longer, they prepared this basket, covered it with pitch so it would not sink, and they put him in the river. And don't you just love this? Because God turned the plan of Satan right over on his head. 
And he had this vessel, this little baby, this beautiful child who God in eternity, in eternity past had planned to be the servant that would lead his people out 400 years before. He had him hidden away by his parents. He orchestrated that Pharaoh's daughter would be bathing in the Nile at the exact same time this basket is floating down. And Pharaoh's daughter had pity on this baby. She could have, be, she could have listened to her father's orders and just turned him over and thrown him into the Nile. That was the command of her father. But for whatever reason, the sovereign, the sovereign hand of God was on Pharaoh's daughter. He, she did not listen to her father. Instead, drew up this child and said, I will take him as my own. I will adopt him and raise him as my own. And God turned the plan of Satan right on his head. Because instead of being killed, Moses was adopted into the royal family of Pharaoh and was raised in all the wisdom of the land of Egypt because God had a plan. And he was going to prepare this man to be his leader. So Pharaoh's daughter drew him out, adopted him, raised in the land of Egypt. And I ask you, who is the king of glory? Who is the king of glory? No one and nothing can thwart his plan. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to take for a moment and look at what the book of Hebrews says about Moses. It says this, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. And by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated with the, with the Israelites rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And he believed that the reproach of Christ was of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. 
Now think this through with me for a second. Moses had all of the kingdom of Egypt at his fingertips. Again, this was the world power of the time. This was not small stuff. Moses had all of the kingdom of Egypt at his fingertips. All of the money, all of the power, all of the prestige he could ever want. But listen, he by faith made a decision. And he says, you know, I have all of this. And I could live my life in the fleeting pleasures of sin. He had it all. But I'd rather leave that. And suffer mistreatment and reproach for the sake of Christ. Because that's a greater treasure than all of the treasures I could ever have in the land of Egypt. What kind of man is this? Put it in today's context. Donald Trump, superpower, has all the money, had all the power he could ever want. What did he do with it? Bill Gates, fill in the blank, whoever it might be. The fleeting pleasures of sin is so cunning and the world goes after them. And the more power they have, the more power they want. The more money they have, the more money they want. And nothing ever satisfies. But who was this man that had it all and said, I'd rather have Christ I'd rather have Christ than everything the land of Egypt could ever give me. And this struck me so much this time as I was reading through the book of Exodus, because all this is said about Moses before the burning bush ever took place. We expect that after the burning bush. But God here in his word gives us a glimpse of this man before he ever saw the fire in the bush. Before that ever happened, he said, I want Christ. And it says that he was looking forward to the reward. And I thought about this a lot this week. What in the world? He was looking forward to a reward. You could say the reward of Christ, but Christ has not come yet. We have to know our Bibles. This is why I love the one-year Bible and I encourage you to dig deeper and deeper into it every day. Because listen, you're going to trace it back with me. Moses is looking forward to a reward. What reward? The Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt 400 years. But where did they come from? Remember Genesis 15, 12 that we just talked about. They came from Abraham. And God had said to Abraham, 
God had said exactly what he was going to do. He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. Your people are going to come into this land. He says, through all of the, all of the, all of the families of the earth, through your seed, it's going to be blessed. But let me tell you, your people are going to be enslaved for 400 years. Abraham knew this. And this is, this is amazing to me because God gives us such clear instruction because I love that he said to Abraham through you, through your seed, all of the families of the earth will be blessed because God's plan comes through families. Families is where we transmit the covenant of God. Listen to what God had told Abraham. Genesis 18, 12. It says, God chose Abraham for a purpose. God chose Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. The transmission of the covenant was down through families. Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be through your seed that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And Abraham passed that on to Isaac. And Isaac passed that on to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. We read about them. And those 12 sons turned into 70 people. And those 70 people met Joseph. God had sent Joseph ahead into the land of Egypt. And and Jacob and his 70 family members went to the land of Egypt, just like God had planned. And in the land of Egypt, they began to grow and they began to multiply. But listen, the covenant was passed down through families. This is so important. Because the people of Israel, as they're multiplying, as they're expanding in the land of Egypt, this is a covenant people. And their entire heritage was based on this covenant with Abraham. And we've all studied history. We know this was an oral society. They passed things down through oral tradition. And so family after family, generation after generation was passing down the covenant promises of Abraham. This was the covenant people. And now we get to this time and God says, as the time drew near, as the time drew near for him to do what he had said he would do to Abraham, the kingdom of Satan is going to try and thwart it. He will not do so. But listen, this is all preparation for the kingdom. 
for the kingdom. And as we get further, we're going to see that this kingdom is about a people. And they knew, these people knew the covenant. And Moses is a clear picture of this exact thing. You see, Moses knew something. You know, I sat down, I I was wrestling through this, this week. Because I thought, you know, Moses was adopted into Pharaoh's family. How did he know all this stuff? Listen to what he knew. He knew that a Messiah was coming. Because he knew the covenant of Abraham, that through your seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. That's the reward he was looking forward to. How in the world can the Bible say Moses was was what considered the reproach of Christ when he didn't even know Christ? Listen, this is so important. Christ means Messiah. He was looking forward to the future Messiah, the future seed that would make all things right. And that would bring this all back together again, this blessed relationship. He was looking forward to the seed that would be Christ. And in him, All the families of the earth would be blessed, would be put back into the kneeled, surrendered relationship that we talk about week after week. And Moses considered. He had it all. And Moses considered. I'd rather have that seed. I'd rather live for that seed and the reward that is coming than to have all of the land of Egypt. That's amazing. I sat down with Mike this week, my father-in-law Mike, and was talking about this. And we just, we just kind of grappled in our minds. Like, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did Moses, we have the entire Bible, and Moses knew more about the seed of Christ than most Christians do today. He puts us to shame. How did he know all this? His mother, his mother taught him. Don't miss this, women. This is so important because when that, when Pharaoh's daughter found Moses. His sister Miriam said, do you want me to find a woman who can nurse him for you? And listen, I don't know how long it was that Jochebed was able to influence Moses, but let me assure you, influence him, she did. She taught him about the seed of Abraham who would one day come as the reward of all people and to restore the blessing of God. Jochebed taught this to Moses. This is so fundamental. I know that most of the people, not all, but most of the people who are listening to this are women. And women, this is for you. Whether you're married now or plan to be married in the future, I have an exhortation to you. 
and it's from the life of Jochebed. Don't you think she was afraid to have her son raised in the land of Egypt, away from the covenant, away from the promise of God? But while she had him, while she had that boy, she was going to make it count. We don't know how long it was, but she was faithful with what God had commanded Abraham to do. Teach this to your children and to your household. Teach it to your son so that he may know when he's in the land of Egypt who his God is. So that he may know. I'm going to break here for a moment because this just profoundly impacted me this week. You have to get into the lives and realize Jochebed was a woman, was a mother, just like you and me. And I just wanted to give a personal exhortation to women, to mothers, to get on the floor daily with your children, to get on the floor daily and play with your little kids. And I'm going to tell you, it's not always easy. We have a laundry list of things that need to get done. We have dishes. We have dinner. We have a million things, a million demands on our lives. But I want to exhort you to get on the floor and play with your children. And I'm going to tell you the reason. And I've been around the block. I still have a six-year-old, but my oldest is 22. And this was my conviction as a young mother. I said, I need to get on the floor and play with my children so that when they're teenagers, they will listen to me. This was so foundational into my parenting. And I'm not, I didn't do it perfectly. Trust me, there were many days I didn't do it. But I set out and I set my face like Flint. I use that a lot. I set my face like Flint to do this. Every day when I put Hannah and Josh to bed, I had a dino battle with Caleb. Because when he was older, I wanted to have a voice in his life. And as Josh grew up, I did the same thing with him. They loved dinosaurs. We had a dino battle with superheroes. A word of advice. When you play a game with your kid, it's also really fantastic to play a game that has an ending. So when I played the dino battles, when we made it to the Great Valley, the game was over. But we did this day after day after day. And as they grew, it moved to Legos. And I would spend hour after hour building Legos with my sons. And kind of my, my part in it is they would be looking for a specific piece and I would, okay, I'm going to help you find that. And I would come alongside and I would help them to build. And with my girls, this was a brilliant one, moms. <laughs> with Hannah, I played the Miss Hannah game. And she loved to play baby dolls. So I would pretend that my kitchen was my house and I would have a baby. Her name was Chooch. Hannah would have her baby. Her name was Pink Baby. And she would bring her baby into my kitchen while I was making dinner. And we would play house together. But I also got my chores done at the same time. But Hannah remembers playing house. 
with, with Mary Grace, it was kitchen. She had a little pink kitchen that she got and she loved and she played it every single day. Every single day, hour after hour, she loved it. She had, she had a diner called Twinkle Toes Diner, and I would go to her diner every single day. The hardest one was Kitty Cat. That one's tough. When I had to be the Kitty Cat and she was walking me on a leash, I get it. This is tough. And sometimes we just look at our watch and say, oh my goodness, there's so much to do. But listen, if we are going to pass the covenant on to our children, we have to get on the floor and play with them. Because when they're older, they will listen to us. Because we will already be a part of their life. Women, my challenge to you is to see that play as part of your calling of passing the covenant on. Because they will listen to you when you play with them. Hero Israel Deuteronomy 6, 9 says, it says to teach them, to teach these things, to teach the covenant of God diligently to your children. When you sit at home, when your children are sick with fever, do you share the covenant, the promises of God with them in the middle of the night when they're scared? When you're driving in the car day after day, day after day, driving back and forth to school, homeschooling, whatever you do, rehearse these things to your children. Speak them in the ear, in the day, in the night, when you're sitting at your table, write them on the walls of your home, write them wherever you must. Speak them to your children, but don't just speak them. I challenge you to live them. Because if your children do not see you living for Christ, I would go so far as to say, you don't even need to bring them to church. Because they're not going to see it as real. Now, trust me, I believe that God can do anything. And so I do believe you should bring your children to church. But don't just do Sunday lip service. When they get to college, they're going to be gone. They have to see you. Do they see you pouring over the scriptures? Do they see you wrestling with God in the decisions that you make as a family? Do they see you know their God? Psalm 71 says, Oh God, from my youth, you have taught me. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. Who is the king of glory? You must tell them, moms, you must tell them. This is the call of God on your life. Who is the king of glory? Tell your kids. I was reading this week and I I was reading another passage that says the same thing. It said, teach them to your sons and your grandsons. And it just hit me because two weeks ago, I found out that I'm going to have a grandson. It says, teach it to your grandkids. Teach it to the next generation. So I have another little boy coming up, Jedediah Luke, and I will teach him the covenant of God. The covenant of God. 
Teach it to your children. It will not be wasted. Who is the king of glory? Tell it to your children. Who is the king of glory? Tell it to your children with your words and with your lives. It will not be wasted. Back to Moses, and we're going to close with this. Second Chronicles 16, 9. I, I use this verse almost every week because I'll never get sick of it. It says, the eyes of the Lord range to and fro all over the world, all over the earth, and he's looking for something. He's looking for something because he wants to strongly support people whose hearts are completely his. And he looks down at Amram and Jochebed and he says, you know what? By faith, these two did an amazing thing. They defied the Pharaoh of Egypt. They hid their child. They floated him down a river. But God saw their faith. And God said, I'm going to strongly support that kind of faith. They hide their child. This is all the plan of God. Adopted into Pharaoh's household. You know they still had faith. Somehow Jochebed translates her faith into her child Moses. He's raised in Pharaoh's house. He's trained in the way of Egypt. He grows up and he doesn't count the treasures of Egypt as anything, but leaves it all. Looking forward to the greater reward that is the reward of, of Christ. God says, I'm going to strongly support that kind, of, that kind of faith. And he takes all of this, all of this story, and he turns what was meant for evil right on top of Satan's head. And he uses it instead for the training and the making of a leader. And all of this, all of this is preparation for him bringing in a kingdom and starting it with the people of Israel. By faith, Moses, unafraid of the king, unafraid of Pharaoh, fled for 40 years into the desert. But God is going to bring him back. And I say one more time, who is this king of glory? His purposes cannot be thwarted. He's going to strongly support this king of glory, will strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. And he in the book of Exodus, we're going to look at it next time, he in the book of Exodus is about to make a name for himself. Is going to break into human history and so show himself so great and so powerful that mankind will never be the same. Moses was willing to throw everything away for the sake of Christ. 
because he saw him who is invisible. And isn't that what Jesus said? That the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field that when a man finds it, he throws everything away to go and get that kingdom because it's worth that much. God is going to make a name for himself. We're going to look at it next week. But today, I challenge you, you go after that kingdom, forsaking all else. God is going to strongly support you. And his plan cannot be thwarted. This is the King of Glory. All to Jesus I surrender Humbly at his feet I bow Worldly pleasures all forsaken Take me Jesus